0: I'll start the show. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Michael Brandvold, and as always, I'm joined by Jay Gilbert. How you doing this morning, Jay?
1: I'm doing very well, thank you.
0: Good to hear. So we have another special guest joining us today. Why don't you take the honors?
1: Well, Tim has uh, a, a long history in uh, kind of the digital space with uh, music And uh, I mean, I I think I first um, started dealing with him, you know, was in the Rhapsody days. But he's worked with Google, and uh, now or Google Play, and now he has a uh, uh, a new thing called uh, Freeform Development that we wanted to talk about too. But one of the reasons we reached out to Tim was we saw this interesting uh, article online, and um, I kind of liked the perspective. Uh, that he had. It's called The Coming Arms Race in Online Music uh, Artist Services, and it was on HypeBot. Um, so if you get a chance, you may want to scan that over. But Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks. Happy to be here. So tell us a little bit about your your history, Tim. You, you've been around a little while and dealt with a lot of very interesting things.
2: Yeah, I'm kind of ancient uh <laughs> depressingly. So uh the brief C V is I started in the music business. I was a front guy in a punk pop band called Too Much Joy. Uh way back in the eighties and nineties. We self-released our first record, put out an indie record, got that got picked up by Warner Brothers and re-released. Um so I spent the rest of the eighties and the bulk of the nineties touring and recording for Warner. Uh then fell into the dot com boom in the late nineties went to work for listen.com we helped build and launch uh, Rhapsody one of the first on-demand music subscription services I stuck with that I was convinced from 1999 on that you know music was moving away from being an object that people buy and sell in discrete units and was turning into a service where people pay or hopefully pay yeah. uh, for access to whatever they want whenever they want wherever they are uh, and so we tried our best to realize that vision with Rhapsody. Um, I stuck with that till 2010. Um, and by 2010, I was still a huge believer in the vision, but it was clear to me by then that space is going to come down to uh, Google, Apple, Amazon, maybe Facebook if they buy Spotify or something. But you really have to be a giant player like that um, to make it in that business. The, the margins yeah. are so thin, the OPEX is so massive. Um, and you really, honestly, you have to be selling something else. Apple sells hardware, Google sells services, Amazon sells everything, but mostly (laughs) everything. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, Google was making noise about getting into the music space. So I joined, uh, I was hired within the Android team. I think I was the fourth or fifth person hired for what ultimately became the Google play team. Um, we built Google play my role there was head of global content programming. So I was working not just with the labels that i would worked with forever, but I was responsible for merchandising all the digital content in play. So apps and games, books and magazines, and movies and TV shows, as well as music. Um, and since a big part of my job there was sitting in quarterly business reviews with all our digital content providers, uh, I learned a lot from the mobile game developers. And it Became clear really quickly. They were just light years beyond publishers and studios and labels when it comes to taking advantage of digital distribution, and the numbers are really stark when you look at them. The you know the global recorded music business peaked in 1999, just under forty billion dollars a year U.S. back then. It's contracted over seventy percent since then. It's now down around fifteen uh, billion a year, and in back in 1999, the entire global gaming industry was a fraction of the record business, uh, and now. Now it's many multiples of the record business. So gaming has exploded while music has shrunk. And mobile gaming, which didn't even exist as a category in 1999, uh, is now over twice the size of the record business. So it was clear to me back in 2010, the mobile game developers, they figured out how to sell digital content online and make money from it. So I spent a long time trying to figure out what do they know that the record industry doesn't. And it can, It boils down to two, two main things to me. The first is those companies are run by engineers, so they have no religion about anything. Uh, everything's binary when you're an engineer. It's a zero or a one. It works or right. it doesn't. If it doesn't work, they stop doing it. Music business doesn't work that way. <clears throat> if it does work, they figure out how to optimize it. And so that was that was realization number one. Realization number two is they've figured out something that the music business is still in the process of figuring out. They shifted away from a a model where success is measured in terms of total units sold towards a model where success is measured in terms of average revenue per user. Uh, When I got to Google in 2010, all the games in the Android market were paid. There really wasn't a notion of a free game. And by the time I left in 2014, 97% of them were free. Um, And they were making more money as a result. So they figured out this freemium model.
1: How were they uh, making the money, Tim? Was it through in-app purchases
2: it, it's a. I mean, it's mostly in app purchases. It's some. If you have the scale, you can do it with advertising. Uh, just Got some it. quick stats to sort of underline this. So, Candy Crush Saga, everybody, it's sort of a household name now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that the developer for for that game was making over a billion dollars a year from the game. Um, had had a huge install base, like 350 million users a month, I think, or maybe 392 million. So basically, more th- that's literally more than the population of the entire United States of America. It's as if everyone in America Plus was playing that game. Um, and they were making a billion dollars a year, but 97% of the people who installed that game never generated a penny for the company. They were making a billion dollars a year on 3% of their user base. Right? Wow. Um, and interestingly, and, and and for Candy Crush Saga, it was almost exclusively in-app purchases. They they actually they had advertising in it initially. They eventually removed the advertising because they did some analysis and they realized, oh, we're making, we're actually making more money without ads than with ads. Um, and that's just a that's just one anecdote that sort of underlines the those are data-driven companies. They understand their ecosystems, they understand their businesses, and the really savvy ones, because they live in this ARPU world, sorry, my phone's ringing That's a right. second. Uh, because they live in this average revenue per user world, as long as they know what that number is and they, they figure out how to maintain it, they can buy installs. And as long as their cost per install is lower than their average revenue per user, they basically have this perpetual motion marketing machine where every marketing dollar they spend is earning them like at least a dollar twenty-five. And as soon as they get any indication that that math's not working anymore, they just throttle down their marketing spend. They figure out where something went wrong, they adjust, and then they throttle the spend up again.
1: Can't um, this be, I- you know, ported to the music business too? Because some of the things you're mentioning, like you know, the, a handful of people are generating the revenue for, say, you know, a Pandora or even a Spotify. Yeah, they have tons of free, you know, accounts or, well, you know, with advertising supported, but that's not generating nearly the revenue that those paid subscribers are. And then it comes back to your point about revenue per user.
2: Um, I think it absolutely can be ported over and that's a nice transition to why I left Google to start freeform development. Um, (laughs) the, The whole purpose of the company is to figure out which if any of those lessons from mobile gaming can be applied to the music business. We're not trying to gamify music, we're just taking, we're trying to abstract from mobile gaming what part of their model works and and can be adapted to the music business. Um, and I look at it more at the artist level because the same principle applies. You can take the biggest superstar in the world. So look at Taylor Swift. If you add up all her plays on Pandora and Spotify's free tier, all her uh, YouTube and, and Vivo views, uh, and then you look at her album sales, you realize she's converting less than 1% of her free listeners to paying customers. Um, and that's sort of that's been a traditional problem with the music business. We have always outsourced Uh, our conversion of our free listeners to paying customers to third parties. In the 20th century, we relied on broadcast radio Of course. that, and then we added in MTV, right? Uh, This century we've added in Pandora and Spotify and YouTube, but it's always someone else's problem. So the idea behind Freeform is pretty straightforward. It's just give labels, artists, managers, a set of tools to let them control their own conversion funnel. Um, And our assumption is if we do that and we do that well, uh, artists can see game-like conversion rates. In fact, I think, you know, a a successful mobile game, you know, I I quoted you Candy Crush Saga, they have a 3% conversion rate. A mobile gaming company is thrilled if they have anything over 2%. 2 to 3% is, like, wonderful. And as successful as Candy Crush Saga is, you cannot show me a Candy Crush Saga player who has as deep an emotional connection to that game as they do to their favorite musician. So we think if you start taking some of these lessons uh, artists should be able to have much higher conversion rates uh, than mobile games, and it's bearing out. So I'll, I'll stop in a second here, but the general idea No, the- no, no, no,
0: no, this is really interesting. Okay,
2: so there's two main ideas. The first is your album is an app. This is not instead of selling it in iTunes or physically or putting it in Spotify, it's in addition to. But when you make your album an app, it can be a much richer, deeper, more engaging experience. Your album can have all the cool stuff it had when I was growing up again, like lyrics and photos and credits, it can have all kinds of things that weren't possible in the 20th century, like videos and gameplay and virtual reality experiences and direct interaction with the artists. So that's part one is Make your album an app. Part two is don't sell the frickin' app. Give the app away for free and monetize after the fact. Um, and it's pretty straightforward. The, you know, I worked at Rhapsody for 10 years. I worked at Google Play for four years. I know the lifetime value of a subscriber. I know the marketing budgets those companies have. I know what they're willing to pay for a lead. And here's the amazing thing. Those companies are willing to pay more just to get someone to trial the service than the digital wholesale price of selling your record through iTunes. So the concept is pretty straightforward. Release your album as an app. Um, and the art, it's up to the artists, you know, you, you decide uh, what your offer is. We recommend if you're doing it this way, give the app away for free and let people listen to at least one play per day of the album. But it's up to you. You can set it to, you know, one play per user or only the first five tracks are free, whatever combination you want to experiment with. But the general idea is give the customer something for free, some reason to install this app on their device. Uh, then the track, after they hit whatever parameter you've set, the tracks lock and the customer has to take some action to unlock them. Uh, that action can be clicking a buy button, but most people aren't going to click the buy button. So we're looking for actions that customers can take that don't necessarily cost them any money, but do generate revenue for the artist. And the most obvious one to me is redeeming partner offers. So, hey, you want to unlock unlimited streaming of this album and we'll send you a free MP3 of download of the album. Just sign up for a free trial of Rhapsody. Uh... You you try Rhapsody, it doesn't cost you any money, but just by virtue of trying it, you get unlimited access to this, this artist album forever, you get a free MP3 download of the album, you're happy. Artist is happy because everybody who does that generates $10. If they were selling the album in iTunes, they'd be making $7.50, so they get more fans, because it's a free offer. They get more revenue from every fan than they would if they'd sold them the record in the first place, and the best part of all is they now own the customer relationship. It's not Apple's customer, it's not Google's customer, it's the artist's customer and they can get recurring revenue from those fans over time. Uh, They can sell them tickets and merchandise uh, and more music as it comes out. Uh, So that's the the model. We've launched 12 of these apps so far and I'm happy to say all our hypotheses were correct. They've got uh, the average conversion rate across the dozen apps right now is 7%. Um, And while we don't pay per play, you can come up with an effective per play rate. You just take the gross revenue an app generates and you divide it by the total free plays it takes to get that revenue. And you're like, okay, this is your effective per play rate. So you can do an apples-to-apples comparison with Pandora or Spotify. Uh, Spotify's free tier, I believe, pays out about a fifth of a penny per play. Uh, Pandora pays out about a third of a penny per play. Our average across the 12 apps right now is 34 cents a play. So it's wow. just orders of magnitude more effective. And again, it's not because you know, we're, we're super special. It's just because the artist is way more, uh, has way more of a vested interest in, con- in converting any given listener um, than a third party does. And the listener is way more incentivized to actually take some action, even if they're not reaching directly into their pocket and pulling out money, when they know they're interacting directly with the artist. Right. So that's that's, well, that's. what kind of idea. artists
1: are you looking for, Tim? I mean, are you looking for new developing artists? Which you know, initially that seems like it makes a lot of sense. Um, what about established artists? I mean, I see some you know, maybe between label deals where this would make sense, but I also see as this maybe threatens the current model with. Um, I I want you know, I, w- I want to jump on where, where
0: where Jay is going here because I was going to ask a very similar question. Is this something that you see success based on a generational thing, meaning the old school managers that have been around for 30 years, artists that have been around for 30 plus years have a hard time adopting this versus the younger, newer managers who aren't jaded yet, the artists that haven't been jaded yet? Is there a generational thing of what you're seeing for acceptance? Uh,
2: let me take Michael's question first, and then I'll I'll answer Jay's. The short answer is there's there's more of a split in my mind on the audience side. When we did user testing before we launched any of these apps, what we found was people thirty years and older. Uh, just wanted a buy button they're like where's the buy button i'll just hit the buy button and we hadn't initially put a buy button in because we thought nobody would use it uh and the folks who were who were 29 and under they had no interest in hitting the buy button but they play a lot of mobile games and they're accustomed to just you know sometimes there's some you know in order to get to the next level you need this magic axe or something you know you can buy the axe for five dollars or you can watch like you know five commercials um, and younger customers are, are accustomed to that. So they said, where's the commercials? I'll watch 20 commercials to get this track or to get the album. Um, so I think it's more on the audience side. On the artist side and the manager side and just the, the traditional music business, I think this model has existed for a long time. You know, when I, back in the 80s and 90s when I was a musician, everything I did was a commercial to get people to buy the album. Right? the videos that we spent t- tens of thousands of dollars on were commercials to get people to buy the album, every show in a way was a commercial to get people to buy the album every interview we did was a commercial to get people to buy the album, over time we realized that we weren't actually making any money from the albums and I was happy to give the album away for free, like if I saw it used in the Amoeba section in, in the used section at Amoeba I'd be happy because I knew a new customer was way more likely to take a chance on me for 10 bucks than they were for 18 bucks, and I was going to make the same amount of money, zero, from either sale. So what did I care? In that way the album was a commercial for me. And it was a way of getting fan into my ego, a fan into my ecosystem so they would buy concert tickets, buy t-shirts at the concert, buy my next record when it came out. And I think different artists and managers have realized this to different extents going way back to the seventies. I think kiss was sort of the original artist that was like, eh, the records are just one piece of this multimedia empire that we have. They literally sell kiss coffins, right? So yeah. they get you from the moment you become a fan to literally after you're dead
1: coming and uh, going.
2: Yeah. They find, they find a way to make money off of you. Uh, and again, I, I'm, I'm, you know, you can you can laugh at that. I don't mean to be super crass about this. One of the ways that the, the platform is set up to work, and now I'll get into answering your question, Jay, because the short answer is, it's literally for everybody. Um, the the twelve apps we the twelve apps we've launched are basically proof of concept apps. We wanted to demonstrate that the hypothesis work, The business model uh, actually bears out. Um, but what we're really focused on is building a platform. So anybody who wants to can come to the platform and very quickly and easily create and launch a mobile app. Um, a metaphor I use a lot is WordPress or Squarespace, the same way you can go to one of those sites and very quickly and easily create your own website, you should be able to come to Freeform uh, and very quickly and easily create your own mobile app. And I like WordPress as a metaphor because you know, there's, a, there's a wide spectrum of use there. Sometimes you go to somebody's blog and you're like, oh, they just took the default Word, Word, WordPress blog template. Other times you go to somebody's website, you don't even realize it's built on WordPress because it's so customizable and you can do, you know, you basically once That's you plug right. into the platform, you can you can modify it however you want. And in the middle, there's this entire third party marketplace of developers coming up with widgets for your WordPress blog and saying, oh, here's a great way to do a photo album in your WordPress blog. Um, here's a nifty feature for your WordPress blog, or just here's a theme for your WordPress blog. We want that same spectrum of use uh, for freeform. So we'll have a variety of sort of off the shelf templates that you can just upload your content into, um, you know, and within 20 minutes, have a mobile app submitted to the App Store and to Google Play. Uh, but if you just want to plug into our APIs, if you're Bjork or you're Crush Management and you have developers, on staff, you want to cu- just plug into our sponsor marketplace and build your own custom experience on top of that, you can. And in the middle, we want third-party developers to say, hey, we want them to come up with ideas for these apps that we we either never would have thought of or have thought of, but they're like two years down on our roadmap. Um, that's the sort of uh, innovation we want to spur. Do, do you, how would
1: you manage your, your collection? Sorry, Michael. Oh, how, how would you manage your collection? Let's say... You know, down the road, I've got 30, 40, 100 of these, you know, albums slash app. Um, how would I manage my my music collection? So
2: that, That's an excellent question. So there's this chicken and egg thing, right? Where nobody wants dozens of apps on their handset, um, but at the same time, I'm going to be way more successful getting someone to to install Lil Wayne's Carter 5 for, for as an app for free than I am by saying, hey, come to Freeform and install this Freeform app. Um, so we're sort of taking this backwards approach where we're starting with individual artist apps uh, and let, and relying on the artist to market those. But basically, they're all built on the same engine. So ultimately, what we want to build is what we call the Freeform library app. So we're not marketing Freeform, but if you've already installed Uh, the GEZ app and you start to install the Chris Brown app, uh, we will recognize, we're not here yet, but we're getting there, we'll recognize, oh, you've already got one Freeform app on your handset. And we'll leave it up to the user. We'll say, do you want multiple artist apps on your handset? Or do you want to house them all inside a single Freeform library app? And that will function. I use the Amazon Kindle app as an example a lot. You know, it's one icon on my device, I click it, I have a bookshelf of, you know, exactly. Now I have dozens of books. They're all on Amazon servers. I just pull down the one I want to my handset at any given time. That makes Um, sense. And it also gives me access to everything else in their marketplace that I might want. And once you get there, you can do all kinds of interesting cross-promotions and you can get network effects and things of that
0: nature. Tim, um, it's exciting to hear that you want to build this as a platform where anybody can come in and kind of do it yourself. Will Freeform kind of present a bunch of potential sponsors or does the artist have to come in and make their own relationship with spotify or rhapsody or somebody else for that upseller do you do you have those in place and that the artist can just sit here and go i want this one this one and this one and it's done
2: uh the short answer is both the 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 more the the longer answer is ultimately we are building that sponsor marketplace um and you know as, as, as i mentioned the you know it's sort of We'd look at this as abstractly as possible. Basically, we're building a platform. Uh, We're starting with music, but this could work for any digital content. So eventually we want to roll it out to print and to video as well. Uh, But the idea is any digital content owner says, okay, I want a mobile app. Here's the content I want to distribute through the app. Any piece of content can be in one of three states. It can be free just by virtue of installing the app. It can be metered, in which case it's free until you hit some parameter and then it locks. Or it can be locked from the beginning and if it's metered and becomes locked or is locked from the beginning, then you have to take some action to unlock the content. So that's the abstract notion. Uh, so once the content owner chooses to use the platform, decides what content to distribute, and decides which which of those three states each piece of content is in, then they sort of choose their unlock actions. Right now we have three unlock actions. You can unlock by buying, you can unlock by redeeming a partner offer, or you can unlock by sharing on Facebook. Um, but over time, we want to add in more and more unlock actions, right? So different people can, different artists can pick and choose. Neil Young is not going to want any brand in his app, right? He, that, that just seems gross to him, but he will happily upsell you to, a you know, a $25 Pono version of his content. Um, other artists might say, like, hey, you know, donate to my favorite charity. Other artists, like, you know, DJ Tiesto has an app where the content is entirely sponsored by Budweiser, so you should be able to do that as well and say, oh, every everybody gets unlimited access to all, all this content for the month of February because I've got a sponsorship deal with Budweiser. So we'll have all those options in our platform, and you'll sort of, as the As the content owner, you'll be able to pick and choose which ones make the most sense for you. Um, At the same time, we anticipate sponsors coming in and saying, hey, this offer isn't available to everybody. This offer is open to hip-hop artists, uh, you know, with a certain certain fan base who are appealed to these demographics. And by the same token, there are some artists we talk to who are like, oh, well, I've already got this sponsorship. Can we work them in? So we'll also have the ability for you to bring in a deal that only you have.
0: Okay. And, and... You know, and I don't know, maybe you're not open to answering this, but how does Freeform make money off of this then? Is there going to be a setup fee? Are you going to take a percentage of the revenues that's generated? Yeah, I mean,
2: the ultimate goal is these apps should be free to create. Um, and we, you know, we make money if you make money. So basically, we take thirty percent of the revenue. We're like any other distributor. Um, in the early days, I anticipate just until we have until we can afford, you know, super scale um, and basically taking all comers. Since we'll have to throttle usage at, in the early days, there might be you know a nominal fee per app per year. Maybe it's five hundred dollars initially, but the goal is to drive that down to zero
0: eventually. And and ultimately. When the app is created, is it uploaded to the App Store as a Freeform developer, or are, you, or are the artists creating their own developer accounts that they then have to manage?
2: Freeform Freeform development is, has the developer account. So okay. you know, until we have the library app, like right now, you can go to the App Store, you can go to Google Play, and if you click on More from this developer, you'll see all the Freeform apps in one place. And,
0: and, and, okay, the, re- and the reason I, the go, reason I asked that is because I've I've done both avenues. I've developed my own app, become a developer, uploaded it, and then I've also used a service that's done it for me. And I can just tell you from experience, having somebody else manage it all is drop dead simple. Um yeah. becoming your own developer it's not difficult, but it sure is a little more com- a little more complicated.
2: It's also I mean also just the time lag to get something you know there there it, in order for every individual artist to be their own developer just all the all the virtual paperwork that you have to yep. sign uh depend you know territory by territory where you want to launch and all the tax implications and all that stuff right. it becomes a hassle really quickly so you know we basically you look there's lots of digital distributors where an artist or a label can Place their content with one aggregator, and boom, it magically appears in every on-demand sure. service. Yep. This is a similar concept for mobile
1: apps. Well, Tim, let me ask you about, you know, content. is Is there any limitation? Meaning, could there be video? Could there be high-quality, um, you know, audio files? Uh, are there any limitations to the actual content?
2: the only limitations are you know our uh, development resources so uh, what, what and honestly I, I, I love the question because that's one of three reasons we named the company freeform we literally want to be a blank slate for artists to express their own vision on um, people i've seen you know th- basically there, there's there's two different extremes here one extreme is bjork's biophilia which was a noble experiment but also a failed experiment right cost it, she tried to reimagine the album experience for you know for the this digital age. Um, it was this breathtaking vision, cost hundreds of thousands of dollars, could only ever be developed for iOS, and then you know they felt like they had to recoup their costs, so they had to charge for it, and nobody really bought it. Um, and the other end is sort of the mobile roadie approach where everybody gets the exact same app with the exact same features, whether you're using with some of those features or not. Um, and there's just no real unique expression of vision there. So Freeform's goal, and it's very, very early days, so you, know, you you only get the barest glimmers of us achieving that goal as you flip back and forth across the 12 different apps, but you, hopefully you can see where we're headed. Um, the goal is to achieve biophilia-like uniqueness on, you know, at scale. So that anybody can have their own biophilia. Um, so that that's- I would
1: imagine you're kind of platform agnostic when it comes because of your background with, say, Android. Um, you know the importance there, and you know the popularity of, you know, iOS. And uh, is is this platform agnostic?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, we're, we're well. It's platform agnostic, except that we're, you know, we're ignoring Windows Mobile, uh, just because we can't afford to develop for three platforms. We can afford to develop for two. Um, the going back to to what your your initial question about the the different types of content, we want there to be everything. Right now, we've got support for uh, you know, image files, text files, video and audio, uh, and you can sort of pick and choose uh, how you know the the quality of each. Um, I'll, you know, it's it's hard to keep, you know, we, we want to keep the install size down so you can't go too crazy. Um, and we don't yet have, you know, Amazon or Google scale in terms of our servers. Sure. Uh, but over time, you know, if the vision bears out the way we expect it to, we want to become as big as those companies. And we want to we want to support any crazy idea that anybody can come up with. Um, we've got a roadmap. You know, we want to, we're, we're working on 360 videos and virtual reality experiences. We're built on Unity. So the idea is it's a 3D platform. We sort of, if you look at the existing apps that are live now, um, it's kind of like flipping through a you know a CD booklet or something, um, which is deliberate but not the end goal. Uh, we deliberately started with this sort of flat 2D um, approach because we knew when we were pitching to product managers at labels and the creative teams uh, at artist management companies that. They needed a way to see, you know, they've got a limited amount of time to deal with startups like us. They needed a sure. way to see like, oh, I, I get instantly how my existing assets will fit into that platform. I just, you know, drag and drop and boom, I'm done. Um, that's fine. It's a great place to start. But we don't want to be limited to, I, you know, a thing I say a lot is we shouldn't be looking for digital analogs of offline experiences. We should be looking for digital, you know, things that you can only do digitally. Um, so okay. we want to reimagine that. So we're, we're purposely developing on top of Unity, so it's a 3D yeah. experience. Um, there's no reason that getting from track one to track two should be like, oh, I'm looking at the lyrics on page one of the CD booklet, now I'm going to flip it to page two and I'm on track two. You know, There's no reason track one can't be a planet. Um, that you explore and you dive into the you know you, you yeah. dive into the ocean and track two is a moon of that planet and you take a rocket ship to get to it right? Now I mean that, that's lame. I'm looking for artists to come up with better ways of expressing all of this stuff. But the general idea is whatever your vision is, you should be able to express it on this blank canvas that is reform.
1: How are those conversations going with artist managers and labels? Are they worried about disintermediation, you know being kind of cut out of the, you know if this is successful, and the artists kind of now are communicating directly to their fans in a sense. Do you do you get any pushback?
2: Uh, that, that's a really interesting question that I get a lot, mostly from investors. And so when I, I presented this to somebody I'd worked with uh, when Rhapsody and MTV Networks were a joint venture, so he had a long history at MTV, and I got to the end, of the end of the pitch, and he was kind of gruff. He was like, I like it. I only have one question. How are the labels going to screw it up? Because you know they're going to screw it up. <laughs> And I laughed. I was like, well, you know, the the worst thing they can do is just not use it. They can't prevent the platform from existing. Uh, And I think the way they will screw it up is they will create poor user experiences. Um, They will put restrictions on, you know, they won't embrace the freemium piece of it. They'll put restrictions, they'll put unnecessary restrictions on it. Um, But that honestly doesn't matter because there will be plenty of independent artists who are much more adventurous um, and have less to lose in their minds, uh, who will basically be much more experimental. And you can, as that's one of the reasons for setting it up as a platform, you have a hundred experiments, 99 of them can fail, uh, or can just not work all that well. All you really need is one to sort of crack the code. And honestly, I think the things that work in hip hop are going to be different than the things that work in country are going to be different than the things that work in dance music. So hopefully we'll have a couple people cracking the codes for their genres or their demographics. Everybody else will then race and to imitate that and they'll start in, innovating around the edges of that, that idea. Um so generally speaking, uh, and so then the other question we get from investors is, are labels going to freak out because of the, the threats of disintermediation? And the answer is, not really. I mean, I mean the threat's real, right? But I mean, it's not. we're not the threat, we're just a symptom of it. Uh, and really, this approach works for anybody who aggregates digital content. Artists, in the, you know, an artist, an album is just an aggregation of songs. Um, and artists have aggregation of albums. Labels have aggregations of artists with aggregations of albums with aggregations of sales. So you can see a label app just as well as you can see an artist app. You can see a festival app. You can see a network app. Um, so anybody who's got a massive digital content can benefit from this approach. Um, so labels are our customers just as much as artists are. That said, when we're pitching this to product managers at the labels, Uh, there's a bit, I wouldn't say it's resistance. I would just say it takes longer to, to get to a yes than it does with a manager who instantly gets it and says, wait, I get to own the customer. Okay. Um, with the labels, it's more like, oh, we're going to own the customer. That's going to, we have to make sure that doesn't threaten some of our other distributors who have more market power than you do right now.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And I, and I like the idea that it could be, you know, not only for a festival or, You know, I I could see it being, you know, down the road maybe for a a certain playlist, you know, that or a lifestyle, you know, it it doesn't have to be just the old model of, you know, an album. We we were
2: talking to one we were talking to one artist who uh, ended up not doing this, but he asked if we could support it. We're like, yeah, absolutely. This is the exact type of innovation we're talking about. He wanted to do a song a day over the course of the year. So he wanted to do, wow. it was, it was leap year. So it was 366 songs. Um, so you can imagine something like that. And we discussed various ways of what, what would the parameters be? You know, do you get, is, is each song free for the day it's launched and then it locks? Um, you know, do you, do you get to listen to, you know, 10 songs at any given time, depending on when you come into the system? There's lots of different ways you could go about it.
0: I, and, and this sort of leads into what I was just going to ask you, what's the capability to um, have... Frequently ongoing updates to an app. This isn't like you build it once, you release it, and it's now frozen. We could, it's you dynamic. know, in, in in a month, we could add new content, take content out. This could be living forever, right?
2: Um, not only could it be, it should be. Um, and it really needs to be. So it's, it's again, it's you know one of the things about freeform is it's all about artist choice. Certain artists, like if New Order were ever to do this, they're going to want blurry pictures. They're not going to want to talk to their fans, right? You know, like they want to have some era of <laughs> mystery. Well, maybe less mystery now than they had in the '80s, but some people are going to want to take that standoffish, you know, I'm a I'm a creative genius atop the mountain approach. Other artists are going to be wanting to talk to their fans every single day. But what we've seen already over the course of a year of having some of these in the marketplace is the most successful apps are the ones where the artists look at them as, you know, a way of having an ongoing communication with their fan bases. So, and it stands to reason, every every time you update your app with new content, um, and new content doesn't have to be new music. It could be video, it could be a remix, you know, it could be a lyric, um, it could be some user-generated content. But anytime something new goes in there, A, it's it's a reason to send push notifications to everybody who already has the app to get them reengaged. And B, it's a reason to send... Met, you know, blast your your, your wider fan base, um, to tell, remind all the folks who haven't yet installed the app that there's lots of reasons that they should install the app. And once you do that, it's just my old job. My job at Rhapsody, my job at Google Play was merchandising, right? A couple of years when we were first pitching this idea, um, you know, it was way back when when you two had had you know sort of given their album away to everybody with iTunes, right. uh, and I was laughing about it because on the one hand I was saying you know the a, a part of my a big part of my pitch at that time was that you know what what gaming companies had figured out that the music business hadn't yet is that in the 21st century free doesn't mean promotion anymore free means distribution. Right? and games, games figured that out and changed their business model as a result music business is still coming to terms with what that might mean um, and so when U2 had, had, had given away their album they were sort of proving my point I was like I'm, I'm really excited for the promotion because they're, you know, that, that's another proof point that free is distribution um, but I'm disappointed in the promotion because I think they made a fundamental error where they pushed that album on everybody whether they'd asked for it or not um, they turn their art into spam, right? And that's not—I don't think—that's the right way of, of going about it. Sorry, I yeah. went off on a little tangent. No, no, no that's they got good.
0: some um, um, feedback Another for that slight too. Yeah. technical question: Are there are will the app um, be formatted for the device? Meaning, if it's an on an iPad, or is there going to be a different display, different layout, more features that can happen on an iPad versus an iPhone?
2: Yes, um, although that's a future tense. Yes, uh, okay. we have iPad. We have very, very fancy iPad layouts. So you know, if you do landscape versus portrait, it it it, it varies. Um, we're not there yet, just because of you know we're a scrappy startup with limited development resources. But it's coming. Uh, this
0: awesome. this this is uh, this impresses me a lot. Um, you know, I I like the the direction you're going, and I would like to think artists would be excited by this. I, I, I do kind of get the, okay, you know, how's a label going to deal with this? Back to that issue of an artist that's signed to a major record deal wants to do this, but the label's kind of going, well, we're not sure if you should be allowed to do this. Um, I, I, I think I think your breakthrough probably will come with more independent artists who will prove the concept first
2: yeah although I've been I've, you know I've been I've been pleasantly surprised in that regard. Uh, one of the first apps we launched was Rob Thomas, so that was a major label deal. We did one for Chris Brown, one for Easy, so they're willing. We don't have any universal artists yet, but we'll get there.
1: yeah um, very innovative, Tim.
0: what's it, at, at this point in the game, what's it take if an artist wants to get involved with this right now? Um,
2: the average artist is gonna have to wait until we have the uh, platform built um if artists, there is a yeah, it's there there Anybody who's interested can write to us at artists at freeformdev.com. That's freeformdev.com. Um we you know, we did we did the dozen apps where we did the development just to prove the concept, and now we're dry, we're devoting all our engineering resources to getting the self-serve platform ready. That said, if somebody really, really wants it, um, they're welcome to uh, reach out to us and we can do it at cost. Um, but you know, my vision is to not charge anybody anything for this. So I really want to get to the, the to the platform.
1: What, like a self serve platform. Excuse me? You said yeah, self serve platform.
0: What yeah. is your estimated timeline to get to the point where the platform's rolled out that people can come in and start using it?
2: Oh, I've been I've been doing software development for too many years to put a date on
0: anything else. <laughs> <laughs> Soonish. Soonish. Just All right, just fair just keep watching. <laughs> yeah.
1: Stay tuned.
0: Stay tuned. Uh, this was fascinating. I mean, uh, again, I think this is really interesting. I think this takes, um, you know, the whole concept of an album release to a different level. Um, it gives you, you know, it, 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 I think what's missing a lot is the event around an album release. And I think this kind of yeah. allows you to make an event out of it.
1: And the experience. I mean, we grew up with gatefold sleeves and liner notes and lyrics and all sorts of stuff. And now we have like a little, you know, two inch square image and some track names in a spreadsheet. And uh, I think this kind of brings back. That experience is some.
2: Absolutely. I mean, it it drives me crazy because I'm an old man. You know, music, we're in this weird phenomenon where there are more people listening to more music more often than ever before, and yet they're engaging with it in this extremely shallow way um, compared to, you know, again, like not to go when I was a kid, but when I was a kid, I got an album, I lay down on the couch, I devoured, I inhaled all the materials. I, I don't even yeah. want to dismissively call it content, right? The I looked for the the secret message scratched into the dead space between the end of the last track and the label. You know, I just anal- I analyzed the artwork. I read every lyric. I read every credit to see if oh that tambourine player, where have I seen that name before? And then that would send you to other records. So Part of what we want to do is foreground the the music listening experience again. It drives me nuts when I'm on Bart or a bus, uh, and I see somebody with headphones in, and I hear the you know the the the, the tininess coming out of their ears, and they're looking at their their cell phone, and they're playing a game. As far as I'm concerned, if somebody's going to be looking at a screen while they're listening to your music, they should be falling into a world that you have created for them that's related to that music.
1: Wow, great stuff, Tim.
0: Awesome. Thanks, guys.
1: Well, thanks uh, Thanks again for uh, for coming on. Where where can people kind of keep up to date on your shenanigans?
2: Um, best thing to do is just go to the App Store. Uh, we've got apps for, as I said, Rob Thomas, Chris Brown, g Easy, The Cult, um, Scott Whelan, may he rest in peace, uh, a few others. Uh, you can search for any of those and then click on more from this developer and you'll see more. Uh, we have a website, which is freeformdev.com, although it's
1: there's not much to do with the website. It's just some more information about us. Okay. Well, good awesome. luck with this. We'll be uh, we'll be watching from the sidelines. Best of luck to you, Tim. Great.
0: Thank you, Tim. Thanks, guys. Take care. All
1: right. Thank you, brother. Bye. Bye.
0: I'm 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 kind of glad that we didn't get to his article. Although the article is fascinating, maybe we have him come back on to talk about it. But yeah. uh, the freeform dev is um, really fascinating, really interesting. I mean. As a marketing person, my wheels were already spinning going, well, I could do this for a DVD release. I could do an album release. I sure. could do this around a tour. And what clients dynamics, would this work living through? and
1: breathing, right? It's something yeah. you can update. And you and I have been talking about this recently yeah. on, on innovation. I love that he's doing this, and I love that he comes from the Rhapsody Google Play world. But, you know, where's you know, Spotify, where's uh, Apple, where's, you know, Google, Amazon in this type of innovation? I think it's, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, I'm looking, looking forward to trying out I mean, some why, of these. Why, uh, why,
0: why, I don't know, why doesn't Apple buy them? And now it's an exclusive iOS development portal. That's it, only available. These apps are only available in the app store. I, I don't know. It, yeah, you're right. It just seems to me, this is, this has got to, um, a lot of a lot of excitement around it, and right. um, that. Well, that, you and I are missing. music
1: fans. I mean, we would love to have that album experience again. What he described is what you and I had growing up you get the album the gatefold the booklet inside the lyrics the liner notes all of that stuff was so experiential and it's missing and let's let's face it there there are sometimes when you just want the music you're you're working out you're walking the dog whatever but there are a lot of times where you're on an airplane or you're someplace you know where you're looking at your device and you want to dig in yep
0: Yeah, yeah no and and you know and i do like the fact that it's it, it it works in today's um, app economy where people are sort of like, well, yeah, you can listen to each track once, but then you've got to do something if you want to listen to it again. You know, I've always felt for years that was sort of an interesting angle that could be taken to attack piracy. It's like, give the music away, but put some sort of throttle on it that you can only listen to it once a day until you pay for it, and then it unlocks it, and then you can do it. But... Besides just buying it now, it's maybe you go sign up for that service or share it. I mean, if you share this, we'll let you unlock it and listen right. to it. Right. I mean, that that give
1: that, us a good review on YouTube or socials or your blog or whatever, and kind of help us promote this. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a great way to yeah, go. Yeah,
0: this excites me a lot. So we'll we'll definitely um, be following Tim for sure.
1: Yeah. Um, that's great it. show. All right. Thanks,
0: everyone.